Amen. Y'all sound good. I love coming to church. Amen. I love being here. I'm glad to see you here too. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. I'm pinch eating for Bradley in this moment today as uh, this is the time in the service where we usually take up the offering. We're still not passing the offering plates, uh, but our offering buckets are outside the doors on your way out available for you. Uh, as we give you an opportunity to to give and uh, to give to the Lord's church. Uh, you can do that in one of three ways. You can do that the traditional way of, of cash or check. You can go online at www.lindsaylane.org and uh, go through online giving there. Or you can text to give LLBC to 73256. And so those are three ways that you can give. Again, don't uh, don't give out of in response to pressure, uh, but let the Lord move on your heart as, as you would give as he leads you. Um, I'm so thankful to be a part of, of this church, a church that is, is generous, a church that uh, uses kingdom of God dollars for the glory of God and the good of man. And so we thank you for your continued generosity as we continue through this season. And uh, it's just an honor to be a part of, of uh, this church here at Lindsay Lane. Let me pray over the offering and the message and uh, we'll get rolling. Lord, thank you so much for, for how you have blessed us and Lord, giving us the opportunity to give. Lord, I pray that you would work on all of our hearts towards the things that you care about. And so today I just pray, Lord, as, as we are considering how you have been so generous to us, Lord, that we would consider that and how you would shape us and lead us to do the same. And so, God, we pray blessings, continued blessings over these offerings. And pray, Lord, uh, that, that we would be good stewards of, of what we bring in here. Lord, that we would be uh, faithful, Lord, with the, uh, the resources, God, that you provide. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we pray over this message today. Just pray in the name of Jesus that it would honor you and help people. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, hopefully when you came in, you received a bulletin. This, uh, this week we continue our sermon series called Connect Card Christianity. And uh, we are focusing on the elements of the, the Connect Card and, and really what they mean to all of us. Uh, last week we covered our name and talked about the significance of, of our name being in Christ. And so this week we're actually going to look at the part at the bottom of the front section, which is your address, and ask the question of, of where you live. Obviously, we're going to be speaking in spiritual terms, but where do you live? What, what is your proof of residence? Do you have proof that you are in Christ and that you live in God? That is where we're headed um, today. My wife and I, we have documentation to prove that we live where we live. We, we, we can provide you the paper documents to show you that the address that we may put on this Connect card is the actual address in which we live. But what's even more than that is the address in which we claim to live, we, we really do live there. Like if you, if you go to our house today, you walk in, you'll see our clothes in the closet. You'll see pictures of ourselves and our kids on the walls. You'll see sundrop cans about. Amen? You'll, you'll see these things if you go to our house. If you go to our house this afternoon, you may see uh, me cutting the grass, my wife watering the flowers, our kids riding their bikes. Like, we don't just write down our address like we live there. We actually do live there. And the reason I start off that way is because you can write down your address on this Connect card right here, but if we can't ever catch you there, you either don't live there or you need to come back home. Now, if you're not picking up the spiritual metaphor yet... We are really not going to try to track you down this afternoon. Like, we're not going to show up at your house to verify what you put on the Connect card is, is really real. But don't miss the spiritual metaphor because in 1 John chapter 4, for the purpose of assurance, and that's key, for the purpose of assurance, it communicates that a real follower of Christ lives in God. What you will see in the next few minutes as we look at these verses is, is that repetitively, 
in, in the scriptures, God will place the follower of Christ as living in God and God living in them. And so what we are seeking today is a proof of residence for us all. If we have that proof of residence that we are in Christ, this will be a message that will assure you. It'll build you up and give you confidence for the rest of the week. However, this message may also bring about some conviction that maybe you need to come home or maybe even the Spirit of God is not working on you to come back home or assure, that, assure you that you have salvation, but maybe God's Spirit is working on you to actually be in a right and real relationship with God and know it forever. So, again, we may say that we live in God, but if we can't ever be found in that location, we either don't live there and we need to stop lying to ourselves or... We need to come back home. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, O oh God, for how you continue to work on us and challenge us and change us. Spirit of God, would you guide us into all truth today and would you teach us what that means? We thank you again. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one that's made the effort to get up today and get themselves ready. And Lord, we pray for those that are, are still watching live stream, that are making preparations to come back soon as they can. Lord, we thank you for the avenues that we have to get the word out. And we thank you, Lord, for all that would hear it today. And again, it's our prayer that today's message would honor you and help people in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. The scripture says, And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and him in us. Let me read that one more time. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. For we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. The Scripture says, God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, because, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Today we're going to give you three evidences. Three evidences basically that you know you are a Christian. Three evidences that you know you are saved, that you are in Christ, that God lives in you, and that you live in God. And the first evidence found in Scripture in verse 13 is God's Holy Spirit. Again, the Scripture says, And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Let me ask you a question very straightforward today. Does God's Spirit live in you? Does the Holy Spirit of God live in you? Does God dwell in you? How does this happen, you may ask? How do I know if he lives in me? It's a really good question as a follow-up to looking at that scripture. I want you to consider this point today as we look into the Holy Spirit. Anything alive has to be created or born. Anything alive has to be created or born. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. This means we cannot, by our own efforts, Make life in God. It means that God makes a way for life in us. Think with me. This spiritual life is possible because of a physical death of Jesus. If we want to have real spiritual life, now we can claim we have spiritual life all day long. This happens all over the world every day. The spiritual life, our life alive to God. But the scripture is going to tell us that there's only really one way that this happens. And it's by God making that way of life in us. 
What stands in the way of that spiritual life actually being connected to God is sin. Therefore, the spiritual life is only possible in God because of the death, the physical death of his son. As spiritual beings, as we covered this when we looked at church words, as spiritual beings, we are capable of knowing God. We were made in the image of God. We were made special. We are spiritual beings. We're made to be like God, to relate to God. But there's no spiritual life when we remain in sin. The Spirit of God, according to the Scripture, and if you've ever heard the Holy Ghost, if you've ever heard the Spirit of God, what, who is the Spirit of God? What does He do? Well, the Spirit of God, according to the Scripture, guides us into all truth. This is experienced in salvation. It's read in the Word of God that the Spirit of God will convict us of our sin and not only will convict us of our sin, but convict us of God's righteousness. And we are drawn within that knowledge that we are sinners and that God is holy. Within that knowledge, the Spirit of God will then draw us into a right relationship with God. When we, in God's Spirit, when we agree with God's Spirit, and which agrees with God's Word, by the way, when God's Spirit, agreeing with God's Word, draws us to a place of conviction. When God's Word draws us to this place that we are sinners and the knowledge that God is holy, we then have a decision to make. Once we know that God is working on us and that God has made a way for us to be right with God through Jesus Christ, through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, we have a decision to make to go our own way and to continue to go our own way and make things up as to how we would be right with God or to turn from our sin and turn to God and place faith in the object of faith that is Jesus Christ. The only way we have spiritual life is through the physical death of Jesus Christ. If we would repent of our sin and turn to God and place faith in Jesus, God declares us right with himself. Y'all didn't hear that. When we turn from ourselves and turn to God, placing faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has lived a real life, died a real death, and really got up from that grave, when we place our faith in him and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, we are right with God. Hallelujah indeed. But not only are we right with God, God gives us his presence. We then are gifted, given the Holy Spirit of God. That is real spiritual life, to really have the Holy Spirit of God within us. And it's promised to every believer. It is the proof that we are saved. In other words, when we turn from ourselves, turn to God, place faith in Jesus Christ, repented of our sins, place faith with all the genuineness of our heart, then God has saved us, we are born again, spiritual birth, and he is with us. God living in us, church, should blow our mind. I mean, for real. When you think about the Spirit of God living inside of you who believe, it really should just turn you for a loop. And, and it should blow our minds, but it should not overwhelm our minds. Now, what do you mean by that? God's Spirit in us, knowing that he lives inside of us, dwells within us, has always been the desire of God from the very beginning. God has always desired to be with his people. Are you hearing me? God has always desired to, to walk alongside, to be in his people. Even from Genesis in the garden, Adam and Eve, he, he was walking in the garden, he was with them, and then sin messed that up. And then later on you go to the folks in Israel, his people that he created to be a blessing to the world. God was with them in the tabernacle, he was with them in the temple, and once again they just kept messing things up. We can relate to that, right? 
And, and then we become temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves in the New Testament. When, when we get saved, it is God in us. No longer is it the thought of God hovering around us, but it is actually God in us. I mean, that's cool, isn't it? To think that God would be in us, this should tell us the relational aspects of God, that he not only, again, wants to save us, and it's not about this this one-time decision, but that Jesus, the Christ, when God saves us, Jesus comes into our life, the Holy Spirit of God is within us every single moment of every single day. And the scripture we read today says that the Holy Spirit of God is proof that we live in him and he in us. In other words, this is how we know that we're saved. I want to make this, we got students in here, everywhere from students, all the way, children, all the way up to 8 to 80, right? That's what we have in here. Sometimes I think we ask that question, who is the Holy Spirit? And when we pose the question, do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? We ask the question, well, how do we know? I want to give us three evidences of God's Spirit. Three evidences that you know that the Spirit of God lives within you. Number one, you'll be led towards God's Word. If the Spirit of God is in you, you'll have a desire to be around, to study, to understand the Word of God. Now, if you care nothing for the Word, you need to check your heart this morning. Some of you may be here to hear the Word. Some of you may be here because somebody made you come, right? And so for the believer, we have a desire for God's Word. And here's why. Because the Spirit of God and the Word of God work together. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, that God's Spirit guides us into all truth. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to be a student of God's Word. You need to seek to understand it. But I'm going to tell you what I really believe on the front end. If you'll get your Bible and you'll open it up in faith and quit making excuses why you can't understand it and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you, you'll understand the Bible. Because it's the Spirit of God's work inside of you to guide you into all truth. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't need to sharpen your skills as a student of God's Word. I'm just telling you, based on who I know the Spirit of God to be and what the Word says, God's Spirit guides into all truth. And Jesus says that he will not speak on his own, but that he will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. You can know if God is speaking to your heart and to your life about your future and about your present if it lines up with this Bible right here. That's how you can know. If God's Spirit is, is indwelling in you, you'll be led towards God's Word. This is the reason that we have the ongoing desire, hunger, if you will, for God's Word. This is the reason why we've been out and distant through all of these things that we have this feeling within us like, man, we got to get back in front of the Bible. This is the reason we even go on vacation and we've taken days off. But as a believer, we understand, man, even on vacation, I need direction, right? I mean, this is, this is the Word of God. This is the Spirit of God working together. This is the reason we have this ongoing desire to understand what God's Word is, who Jesus is, what God's Word says about everything in between. You'll be led towards the Word of God if the Spirit of God is in you. Secondly, you'll be led towards what God cares about. Evidence of Holy Spirit of God dwelling within the life of a believer leads a believer to care what God cares about. If God's Spirit is really in you, you'll really care about evangelism and missions. Not a whole lot of amens on that, but it's the truth nonetheless. You'll care about evangelism and missions. One of the reasons I know that is because Philip was sent by the Holy Spirit of God to the Ethiopian eunuch. God's Spirit led him across cultures to share the gospel. You'll care about lost folks if you're a saved folk. You will care when people are broken. If, if the Holy Spirit of God is in you, you won't be offended by giving. You, you know that it's not of pressure that we put the opportunity for you to give in front of you. God is a generous God. We give because he gave. It's not offensive. 
when I'm presented with an opportunity and I know whether or not I can, but I know it's not going to offend me if there's an opportunity to give because that's who God is. The Holy Spirit of God will lead you to care about the things that God cares about. You'll understand the command to love. You may not feel like loving at all. We're going to talk about that later because it comes up in the Scripture. But you'll definitely understand the command to love because that's who God is. And when God is in you, you're going to line up with who God is. If the Holy Spirit is within you, you'll care about these things. You'll certainly care about the church. And everybody said amen. You'll care about the church. And, and for anybody that would say, well, you, you can be a Christian, but the church, now that's not just important. Really? That ain't how I read it. For by what I read is that Jesus gave his life for all of us. Jesus gave his life for the church. Church is the organization that God put together on this earth to be his hands and feet. As, I, as far as I can tell, I'm pretty sure God cares about his church. And if the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you, you'll care about it too. If the Holy Spirit of God is inside of us, we'll care about broken people. We'll be concerned with issues that violate God's standard. There'll be something within us that doesn't want us to stand forward or stand down. This is the Holy Spirit of God's work inside of us. I'm not talking about what your mom and daddy taught you. Not, not talking about any of those things that you've learned along the way. I'm talking about what matches up with God's Word and God's Spirit working inside of us to value the things that God values. Evidence of God's Spirit in us. You'll be led towards the Word of God. You'll be led to care about what God cares about. And finally, you'll be led to go away from sin. If God's Spirit is within you, if you sin, if you mess up, you'll care about it. If God's Spirit is within you, you'll be led away from sin. This is that conviction that we talk about of God's Spirit. Evidence of the Holy Spirit. Conviction of sin. You will no longer to be able to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. And that's the truth. Here, here's the change I can tell in my life. When I got saved at 11 years old. Heard the gospel preached very much uh, the same way that we're preaching it right now. Preacher standing up, preaching the gospel in the little church that I grew up in. Now, the church that I grew up in wasn't exactly this size. It was about the size of mm, this section. <laughs> and, and so I can remember the, the preacher standing and, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd been in church all my life. Every time the doors were open, I was there. And I'm thankful to my mom and daddy for doing that for us. We were there all the time. But this very night, the Spirit of God began to work on my mind and heart and draw me based on my conviction of sin and the conviction that God is righteous and that I need God. I went home and heard the rest of the story, that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God's way of making men right with himself. And I confessed my faith in Jesus Christ that night. The biggest change that happened to me that night to the next day was that presence of God and the Holy Spirit inside of me that I could no longer do whatever I wanted to do anymore. Because the master is now come in. And Jesus is not only to be just Savior, Jesus is to be Lord of our life. The controller, the takeover. And that's what's happening. My flesh struggles against the Spirit of God. And God's like, no, 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 you got saved and called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I'm supposed to run this thing. It still happens in my life. Thought, word, or deed. God's Spirit is drawing me away from myself and to the holiness of God because God's Spirit is within me and I am a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you'll be led away from sin. There's conviction. And the Spirit, God's Word says that the Spirit of God leads to life and peace. That's in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Not struggle and strife. Life and peace. Even as we read this, y'all, there should be an assurance that when we read these things, there should be an amen experience. Like, it's exactly right, man. God's Spirit won't let me go. He cares about me enough to discipline me. 
There should be this experience of, of, of caring about the things that God cares about. There should be an assurance because you know that God's Spirit is inside of you, giving you the desire for the Word. But listen, if it's not, you need to deal with it. That's why you're here today. If it's not, you need to deal with it. I remember not too long ago, when I was in the student ministry here, we had a young lady come after the service. She responded. She had some questions, and she says, I just know inside of me something's not right. I know I need to get right with God. I know I do. She couldn't exactly put her finger on it. And I said to her, I said, well, here, it's really one of two things. Either God's Spirit is drawing you back into a relationship that you already had, but you're not living in, or God is drawing you into a relationship that you've never had at all. Which is it? So if it's not assurance, if we're not being reassured this morning of who we are in Christ, that we are living in God, God is either drawing you into a right relationship with himself or he's drawing you back. It's just as we said on the front. If we can't ever find you at the address that you list, you either don't live there and you need to stop lying to yourself or you need to come back home. The Spirit of God in us is evidence. It's proof that we are Christians. Secondly, it's not only just the Spirit of God, but it's our confession Look in the scripture. Verse 15, all who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. All who confess Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. Proof of residence is not only God's Spirit, it is our confession of faith that leads to living in God. What does that word confession actually mean? Confession means agreement or approval. Well, that's simple enough, isn't it? I agree Jesus is Savior and Lord. I acknowledge that. In fact, we could replace the word and read it. All who agree Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Now, that's not hard to understand, is it at all? We agree on Jesus. But did you notice the tense of the word confess? You see, it's present tense. It's not talking about a past decision. And it's not talking about a forward prediction. It's the here and now acknowledgement every day you wake up. The confession of Jesus the Christ being Lord and Savior over your life. It's almost to be read this way. All who confess and keep on confessing that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. Again, not looking back on a one-time decision that was made. Not looking forward to something you hope and clicks, hopes clicks in the future. We're talking about today. Who do you confess with your mind, heart, mouth, hands, and feet? is Lord of your life. You are Jesus. Jesus the Christ is the Son of God, have God living in them, and they live in God. My grandfather used to ask me whenever our family would get together and we would eat dinner, there would always be tomatoes present. And I never got one. And the reason for that is, is I don't like them. I just don't like them. And he would always say, son, you gonna get a tomato? No, sir. How come you won't eat a tomato? I don't like them. And you can tell me all the health benefits and all that good stuff. Well, yeah, usually everything that is healthy tastes bad. But, I mean, you could tell you could tell me all about how tomatoes are wonderful. And he would do that, and I would say, Daddy Price, we'll call him Daddy Price. I said, Daddy Price, I don't care about the tomatoes. If we ate together two days in a row, the second day he would say, you going to get a tomato? No, sir. <laughs> how come? I don't like them. Now, as a kid, it was no, sir, and yes, sir. Now, as I grew older and got a little bit more conviction and gumption about myself, I said, Daddy Price, you ask me every time we get together if I like tomatoes. And every time I tell you no. I want to tell you for the future's sake. <laughs> as you ask me this question tomorrow, it's going to be the same answer tomorrow as it is today. 
I felt like Dr. Seuss. I do not like them, right? I, I do not like tomatoes. I don't like them yesterday. I don't like them in a can. I do not like them in a pan. Like, I, I don't like them tomorrow. I, I'm not going to like them. See, a confession of faith, a confession of faith is not just a one-time decision you made and you'll revisit it. A confession of faith is not just something you hope you get to in the future. It's an everyday unchanging confession. It's an agreement, it's an acknowledgement with my heart, mind, and life that Jesus is the Son of God. If it's an everyday confession that Jesus is the Son of God living in you, then you live in God. It's serious and very simple. But you see, this is not an acknowledgement to be religious. This is not a confession of religion. It's a confession of faith and a Savior. This is a specific devotion. This is not really about whether or not you believe in God. This is not even whether or not you go to church. There are lots of folks that come to church that are not dedicated to the church and don't even believe in God. See, this is not about that. This confession here that the Scripture is talking about is very specific. This confession here is about Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent by God the Father, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect life who died a sacrificial death for the sins of the world, who rose from the grave to give us hope of eternal life. This is about the Jesus that's one day coming back to make all things right again, that's going to give us eternity secured in the future. This confession is that Jesus is Savior and Lord to all who believe. It's about a specific Savior, not a God in general. This confession is Jesus. I believe that when God is working on you to be saved, you need to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, and then you need to skip up on in here and tell somebody that you did. You need to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life as I read it. I believe that when you have confessed your faith in, in Christ, you need to profess your faith in baptism and identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's not a religious thing. I believe when we have the influence and the opportunity, listen, leaders, I believe when we have the influence and the opportunity given to us in the community to stand and deliver, we need to look for a way to, oper- to make the name of Jesus clear in our message. When people call me and ask me to speak, they already know what's going to happen. I, I, we have to take those opportunities to mention the name of Jesus, not just a moral God in general, but the way and the truth and the life unto God. There is no spiritual life outside of Jesus. I believe when you're struggling, you need to call upon Jesus in the name of Jesus. I believe when somebody else is struggling, you need to pray over them in the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. When we are inviting and sharing, it needs to be so that we get to the end of inviting people so that they can come to Jesus. Like, this ain't religious stuff. This is what's in the Word of God. Jesus, only Jesus. Because the Scripture does not say, all who confess religion or a general God has God living in them. No, it says, all who confess Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. There is a difference maker in the name of Jesus. A friend of ours, uh, we, we were talking to her this week, and she was telling us that she ran into somebody at her place of work. And this person that she ran into was a talker. Y'all know what a talker is? The ones of you that are laughing either know what a talker is or you are one yourself, right? <laughs> like we all know those who are talkers, and, and you don't talk to them for just a minute. You talk to them about ten, and that's fine. God makes us all different. Amen. And so... This, uh, this person that she was talking to began to talk to her about all kinds of things. Politics and 
all social injustice and coronavirus, and it just kept on and on and on. And finally, that person began to talk about church, and then he began to mention sin and the sin in his own life and, and how he looked back on some of the mistakes that he made. And she said, when I mentioned the name of Jesus to him, he bolted, just like that. Now, the moral of the story is to get people to hush to mention the name of Jesus. That's not what the moral is. But there's so much power and truth in that name that it divides and it unifies. For those of us that know him, and we talk about Jesus all day long, but for those of us that don't, it makes us real uncomfortable. Even now, even now live stream, even now in here, at the mention that Jesus is God, he has a standard, he's the way to God and the only way to God, it makes us real uncomfortable. That's because he's the truth. That's because he is the way, he is the life. There's no room outside of that. Because when you follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus, his standard, his way, his lordship. This is why it's uncomfortable for us, because in ourselves, we don't like that. Jesus is not coming in for a decision card moment. He's coming in to stay. This is Jesus the Christ. All who confess him have the Son of God living in them, and they live in God. And again, it's also not just merely an intellectual agreement. Like, I agree that Jesus is the logical choice. He makes sense to me. I agree that Jesus is, is the one that we should go with based upon facts and figures. If you confess your love for your spouse, is that an intellectual thing? According to research, Brittany is highly compatible with me. <laughs> because of this, I confess my love for you. That is craziness. It's not an intellectual agreement. A confession owns all parts of what you are admitting. So a confession of faith is to own all parts of your faith. Let me say that again. A confession of faith is to own all parts of your faith. And the object of our faith, church, is Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. The Bible says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Y'all, I'm telling you, we may try this one day in the future. I don't think we will, but we could. There are some times when you come in here and we sing together and I stand up and I preach... I'm serious. I could stand up and I could read 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, and it says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And the church said, Amen. I'll see you all next week. You could do that with that verse. If you claim to live at that address, there's a standard attached with it. There's a location, a reputation that matches the registration. If we say that we live in God, we should live our lives as Jesus did. This is the standard. Goodness, I wish we had the power to do that. Well, can I turn your attention back to point one? That God's Spirit in us has all the power of the risen Savior in us. So, what, what's the proof that we are in Christ? The Holy Spirit of God is point one. A confession of faith in Jesus Christ is, is point two. And then finally... Point three, it's God's love and our love. God's love and our love. Look at the scripture in verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. If we love like him, we live in him. Let me say that one more time. If we love like him, we live in him. All who live in love live in God, and God lives in him. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, love is where you live. That's your address. 
If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, love is where you live. It's where you reside. That's where you come from. That's what you're a part of every single day. Well, then wouldn't everybody be in God? Because everybody loves somebody. Think about that for just a second. Wouldn't everybody be in God? Because everybody loves somebody. Everybody expresses that towards someone. This would seem to be an airtight argument. However, the world's definition of love and God's definition of love are very far apart. They're completely not the same. So listen with me and don't give yourself a pass when it comes to love because it's going to get real good in here in just a second to see what God's love is like. Verse 16 says, does not say that God loves. Verse 16 says God is love. Meaning that it's His very nature. His character's expression is love. So when you define love, you've got to seek God. It, it cannot be the love that you've always done or love that you've even always known. Because love has to have a definition somewhere where God is love. His very nature expresses it. Therefore, living in love must be defined by God. Back up to verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10, God showed us how much He loved us by sending His only one, one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Let me tell you something. Real love doesn't look like the movies. Real love looks like the master. So we love to watch things on TV because it makes us feel good. We love the feeling that we see on TV from the, some of these love stories, some of the things that we watch and think that's how love should be. There, at the end of a day, church, our credits don't roll. We've got to get back up tomorrow and it's the same thing again. Real love is not like the movies. It's like the master. God's love may be defined in this way. This would be a good note to take. God's love may be defined in this way. That perfection of the divine nature by which God is eternally moved to express himself. Not that effort... And not that holy, almost good, that perfection of God's divine nature in which he expresses himself. God's love, as we consider our love, God's love is selfless. It's sacrificial. It's focused on the recipient, not focused on self. God's love is patient and it's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful or rude. God's love does not demand its own way. God's love is not irritable, married folks, amen. God's love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Did you hear that? God's love keeps no record of being wronged. The greatest temptation in the argument of a married couple is to bring up the history of what the other one has done. And then the scripture says it keeps no record of being wrong. God's love does not... Listen to these, would you? God's love does not rejoice about injustice. That's not the love of God. It does not rejoice about injustice. And then hear the next part of it. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. That's the love of God. The love of God is, is not void of emotion, but it's grounded in truth. God's love never gives up and never loses faith. He is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. I didn't make this stuff up. This is in the Bible. This is the definition of love because it's who God is. You see, God's love is so high and calling, it takes us knowing God and living in Him to pull it off. That's how pure and excellent and perfect the love of God is. And we all better be grateful for that love because it's that love that saved us. 
This is the love of God that God's people are identified by. The other kinds of love, the world that would put in front of us, the other kinds of love that our feelings tell us about, they give us room to get out. You see how? Do you see that? The way that we feel, if that determines how we love, it'll give you room to get out and leave as soon as you want to. The world's definition of love, as soon as somebody's wronged you, you can get out. We need to be careful about what we read. There, there's, did y'all know there's still some articles and things like Dear Abby and Dear... I don't think it's Abby anymore, but there's still those articles. Every once in a while, I'll look at those to see the advice. I'm telling you, they'll tell somebody to get divorced before quick. And again, I'm not talking about your, your past. I'm talking about your future. Your future, future spotless. But, but, but the Word of God would lead us to know that God's love, it don't give up easily. God's love pursues us. And from what I read in the scripture, his mercies are new every morning. You know where mercy comes from? It comes from love. This is what God's word says. See, the, the more we define God's love this way, the more exclusive it all becomes. See, at the start of it, we, we thought, well, everybody loves somebody, then everybody must live in God. But when you look at love this way, according to the scriptures, it starts weeding folks out real quick. God's love is so strong in representation and character that for us, sometimes to love like God, it don't even make sense. That's the kind of love that God gives. His love is loyal. God's love is constant, regardless of whether or not it's received or rejected. Did you hear that? God's love, the agape love that we're studying, is so focused on the recipient that it's available to them whether or not it's received or whether it is rejected or not. God's going to love anyway. This is, see, once again, in order for us to get to this place, we have to be so close to God so that we can kind of pull this off. The more we define, again, God's love, the more exclusive this, this all becomes. But again, if we live in God, if we live in God and God lives in us, then love is where we live. And specifically, this is speaking to the church. Y'all, y'all see this in the context this is speaking to the church. Now, for God so loved the world, we know that. And I should also mention when I say for God so loved the world, the scripture says that we will know, the world will know that we are Christians by our love, not our vote. That goes on both sides of the aisle. We, we, will, we will be known to the world by our love for one another. That's how, that's how we will be evaluated by the world to see if we are for real or not. For God so loved the world. But here, what the scripture is, is speaking is, is love in the church. Love for Christian brothers and sisters. This was written to the church for the church. That we are to love one another in the church. The scripture says in verse 21, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. This is a solid reason to continue to urge the church to be the church, to come to church, to spend time with your church. This, this is the reason why it must go deeper than attendance and acquaintance. It, it must go towards a, a real family-like relationship. My mother used to sing a song in church. I, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Y'all remember that one? I've been something. I can't remember the rest of it. But that family of God. Man, I, I used to hear folks talk about that all the time. Man, I'm, I'm really, it's, it's good to be part of the family of God. What does that mean? Have you, have you looked at the scripture and what it said? Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. That is familial language. 
In other words, that's as close as we're all supposed to get in here. I don't care what size we are. You can be close to a lot of folks. You can, you can skip on over to a smaller church too, and you can get lost there when you don't plug in. I think, I think you should hear that. See, what we'll do is we'll church hop because this church is too big, and then we'll go to a church that's small and it's too small, and we get lost in both of them. The reason why we get lost in both of them is because we don't get to know anybody. We want somebody to reach out to us before we ever think it's reaching out to somebody else. We're not going to get in a group because that makes us uncomfortable. We're not going to stick with the group because it's weird and people talk about themselves and there you find out that they're struggling too, which is encouraging, but it's awkward if you were to open up. We come up with all kinds of different reasons about how to get out of it. I'm not trying to get away from my family, man. I'm not trying to get away from my sister. I'm not trying to get away from my wife and my kids, my mom and my dad. This is my family. I stick with my family. And so the scripture says, again, those who love God must also love Christian brothers and sisters. I don't have a brother, but I do have a sister. Let me tell you about our relationship. When my sister hurts and she grieves, we hurt. We grieve too. When my sister is excited and she has great news, we're glad for her. And we know about it. I talk with my sister regularly. We counsel with each other. We laugh together. We spend time together. We know one another very well. This is my sister. You know what else? We keep each other's kids. Yeah, we keep each other's kids. It's my sister. Love my sister. Stand up for my sister. Go to bat for my sister. Know her very well. This is the closeness that God would have us to get to. Otherwise, you can take brothers and sisters and throw that out. There's a reason why he's saying this in this language. Those who love God must love their Christian brothers and sisters. As I understand it, it's going to be real hard for y'all to know each other if you don't know each other. It'll be real hard for you to love each other if you don't know each other. Real hard for you to love each other if you don't know anybody's name. Well, I can't know all those names. That's fine. Know 20 of them. I can't know everybody in there. You're not asked to do that. Here's what I can tell you about being and experiencing Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. You get a part of a group where you're loving on folks and they're loving on you, you'll be well taken care of in here. I've heard Brother Dusty say that for a hundred years. He ain't been here that long. But it's true, is it not? It's absolutely true. When you get into a group and you begin to treat that group like you're going to love them and they're going to love you, something happens in your family, they're going to take care of you. I've seen that happen uh, in the last couple of weeks. Amen? This is the context that it's written in. He has given us this command, those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. Well, let's bring this to a close. How in the world do we do that? How do we love like this? Because that's hard, right? You, you can't, you got to have God to pull it off. How, how do we do this? How, how do we love in this way towards people even when they, we don't feel like they love us back or all these things, when, when they won't act right and all this? How do we do that? Well, did you notice verse 17? As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Living in is where you stay. It's where you dwell. You, listen, where you live, you planned to live there and wake up there, did you not? 
when we all get done today, if you don't have anything else to do, what are you going to do? We're going to go eat dinner, and then we're going to go back to where we live. You planned that long ago. You planned that that's where you would stay, where you would wake up, where you'd work from, where you'd invite guests to. That's where you live. If you'll do that long enough in habit, you'll realize one day that that's just where you go every day. And the scripture says, as we live in God, as we dwell in Him, our love grows more perfect. You know what I found out about myself? When I am reading my Bible, when I am seeking the Lord in prayer, when I am regularly attending and faithful in worship, when I care about the things that God cares about, when I am truly seeking God to be for me what I cannot be for myself, my relationships get better because I love a whole lot better than I would of myself. As we find ourselves in God every day, then love grows more perfect. Now, that's what it says. It says our love grows. And I don't know that our love here will ever be perfect until we are finally realizing eternal life in heaven where, where all the bad stuff's gone. But see, what we'll do with that is we'll make excuses for the way that we love rather than accepting the power that God has given us to do it. That's what we'll do. Well, I'm not perfect. I can't love you like God every day. Well, I guess God just needs to take that part out of there then, I guess. I... It, wouldn't it be good if God gave us some power to do it? I, wouldn't it be good if God gave us challenging verses like walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh? Wouldn't it be good if, if God were to give us something on the inside that we could? And, and so that we could actually fulfill that love that he's, he's looking for, that He is before the world and inside of our church and inside of our families? As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. If you are interested in loving better, then you're going to have to live in God better. If you're interested in your family being whole again, if you're interested in your marriage coming back together again, if you're interested in your friendships, if you're interested in your relationships here growing closer, as I said, if we'll live in God, He'll take care of all of it. Just every day desiring, if every day were Sunday, amen? And if every day were Sunday, if every day we woke up ready to hear a word from God, if we would live in God, our love would grow more perfect. Instead of taking God's grace for granted, take His power for sure. This is written for assurance sake, amen? This Bible right now, in this day and time, in this context, is written so that you and I will leave feeling good. I mean, Really? It's written so that when we leave out of here, we go, man, the Holy Spirit of God is in me. I am confessing Christ daily, and God's love is in me. That's the goal. That's the goal. But today, if there's not that and there is conviction, that means one of two things. It means God is drawing you to come back home to a relationship that you used to have. Or God is drawing you into a relationship that you never had. It's time for you to be saved. Man, you just saw, you saw my friend Clint profess his faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's time for you to get baptized. It's time to make, take that next step of obedience. And after you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to profess Christ in baptism, it could be that you need to join the church. Now, I got a mask in my back pocket. If you want to come up in here and tell me that, that you want to join the church today, I'll put my mask on. We'll talk about it. We got other folks up here that'll talk to you too. What are your next steps? What are your next steps? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. As you stand to our feet and, and our, our 
team is coming to lead us in a time of response. This is what this is for. It's a time of response. And there's nothing that says you have to come to this altar, but I'm telling you, there's something special about getting on your knees before God and just admitting freely that you need Him. But maybe you don't even know how any of this goes, but you know you need to get right with God. Here's what you can do. You can walk this aisle. You can look at me and say, I need to be saved. Something very simple. I need to join the church. I need to be baptized. Or if you're thinking, I love that and I appreciate the invitation, but that ain't ever going to happen. Here's what you can do. Right where you are, you can call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But would you just tell us? Maybe you would send us an email or give us a phone call tomorrow and say, well, I got some questions and I need your help. We have people here that want to help you. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your invitation. God, we thank you for the Word of God that always challenges us, changes us. We thank you, O Lord, for your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that draws us away from ourselves and disciplines us, convicts us of the truth that you are holy and we're not. God, we confess that you are Jesus the Christ, that you and only you are the way and the truth and the life. And no one gets to heaven, no one comes to the Father but by you. Lord, help us to confess that each and every day. Lord, I pray that your love would be our love. It'd be the same. Lord, that we would be living proof that we reside in you. Lord, once again, in the name of Jesus, for any that need to step out, Spirit of God, would you lead them, guide them towards truth, and even if they don't know what to do, that they would just come so that they could be helped. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.